so I just wanted to talk about my journey um going through um this at this at what's going on after the stroke um and, and when it comes to disability um and um I think a lot of people um who are trying to get disability are going to go through this because um the government like if you're not blind or or deaf um you don't automatically get disability and then um the government will i mean and it's just dealing with humans i think humans make mistakes and i think humans have bad judgment but i understand there's a lot of people out there that are trying to um beat the system and who probably are so i understand being cautious but i just don't understand treating everyone the same and just using like a blanket um blanket um parameters to to classify you as being disabled um i don't know if i said that correctly but i hope you understand um like um when i had my stroke um i was on temporary disability and um they only give you that for a year and this is what i mean by using like a blanket um blanket um policy to cover everyone they give you that for a year and so you get like a lot of attention from your doctors um because you have insurance that covers you and but your doctors only have your back for a year because they expect you to after a stroke unless it's how the severity of the stroke they expect you to be 100% in a year so after my year was up, my doctors wouldn't give me any more letters, work um work let to um um to to explain, you know, my capacity to work. Um I would get no more no more notes. Um they said when I tried to call Kaiser back, and Kaiser is good health insurance. I mean, but not when it comes to um having a disability or going through a traumatic um event i mean i think kaiser is good like for short-term um health care um or health issues but when it comes to something that's more long-term then then kaiser wouldn't be the insurance to have because they expect you to um and be better in a year so if i would go to all my appointments and, and and then they didn't, you know, the short-term disability didn't didn't offer to pick you up. So I had to spend the little bit of money that I was getting from disability. I would have to spend on Ubers and buses. And then sometimes I would even like, if the Uber would be would, is like fifty bucks, I, I couldn't pay it. I wouldn't take the Uber, and sometimes I would like rent one of those bicycles and ride a bike home. And I'm doing this after a stroke. After a stroke. I had very limited, I still have limited mobility in my left arm and hand. I My fine motor skills are gone. And I had to ride a bike. My balance was gone. Your Your balance is not good when you first have a stroke. And I had to survive all of this 
on my own because I was going through a divorce. So I, I had a caregiver that didn't care anymore. <laughs> I mean, to put it in a way that's not uh, mean, but, you know, serious. Not, well, not even serious, but factual. I mean, it was life. You know, you don't expect people to take care of you, you know, after some like a traumatic event. You can't expect. I mean, I mean, if you're married, you. I mean, it should be. It should go without saying because I'm still married, and even to this day, if my wife um, needed my help, needed my help because um, she came down with something, I would still help her because that's what God would want me to do. I mean, I'm, uh, that's what I was trying to explain to a friend of mine that, that that's how I base my decisions off. And it's not love. There's no love. Because how could you love someone who abandoned you when you were married? I mean, and that's not the reason why we divorced. But no matter what we went through, um, that when you have such a traumatic health care um, crisis, health crisis that happens to your spouse, then all of that nonsense goes out the window because what would God want you to do? But I understand because, you know, um, they were being led by earthly um, decisions, not by godly decisions. And I was being led by earthly decisions too, you know, prior to my stroke. So I wasn't very godly. I mean, I didn't make a lot of good decisions. I wasn't the best person to be married to. But I know one thing I do know is because of the type of person that I am, that if if in like in if anything, like even like if there was cancer, if there was anything, I know that there was no way I would have abandoned anyone. Especially not the person I'm married to. You know, I mean you don't go through what you go through for 12 years and then because you know things are not working out you don't you don't break your vows it's not you don't use it as a, as an escape route <laughs> and escape the exit door <laughs> and that's just putting it in a way that's lighthearted because i'm not angry anymore i understand that's human you know, you, you can't push someone but so far and not expect them to leave. But the timing was bad. <laughs> so I had to do a lot of things on my own. I mean, like, I, I remember riding a bicycle like 12 freaking, no, 16 miles. Mm-hmm. 16 miles because I had to go and get a COVID shot because, I, I mean, I had a stroke. There's no way I was not getting a COVID, COVID shot, a COVID vaccine after a stroke. There's, there was no way. And I probably would have did it if I was completely healthy because I just I believe in medicine. I think medicine saves lives. And all of that, those scare tactics and all of that, um, you know, that what, what do you call it? What do you call it? What do you call it? Um, I can't think of the words. Well, you know what I mean. That I don't I don't think about that stuff, you know. I really believe in medicine because medicine saved my life three times. I had three aneurysms rupture in my brain. Three. I don't think there's any other person in the world, maybe in the world, but probably not in America that can say that, or in New York, 
Let's make it that small. There's probably 8 million people in New York. I bet you, I bet you there's very few people that can actually make that statement. And I have the medical file to prove it. I have it in paper and I have it on, on disc. <laughs> so I had three aneurysms of rupture in my brain. And this is what I mean by blanket policies. Why won't you take the time to really look at my medical record and say, well, this woman had three traumatic brain injuries and a stroke. How are we going to how are we going to classify her as the same person who just had only a stroke? How are we going to classify her as only a person who had an aneurysm rupture? Or an aneurysm period. period. How, how is that all the same? Why did they only give me a year to get better and then abandon me? So that was the second abandonment. <laughs> but what can you do? I mean, God will only give you as much as you can handle. And God knew that I can handle this. I mean... And then the human part of me almost made me um, make a decision to not handle it and just go to that desperation, that the finality. I thought about that a lot. And I was like, why me, God? Why? Just when God, when Jesus was pleading to God, God, why, why have you forsaken me? I was pleading, Jesus, why have you forsaken me? Why? What did I do? What did I do to deserve this? That's the human in me. And God will not do that to you because you deserve it. God does not punish people like that. God doesn't um, judge. God does not judge. So you don't receive punishment from God. The, The punishment is the actions that you take throughout your life. If you don't correct your life, there's consequences to your actions. God could only do but so much. He's always there. But if you're not focused on him, then the devil is going to deal the consequences because you've been abusing and abusing and abusing and not listening to God. I think consequences come from the devil. I don't think consequences come from God. Because you're not listening to God. You're turning away from God. And that's where the consequences come in. So, I mean, but then again, I'm like wondering about that because um, I was a healthy, I was a pretty healthy person. Um, I I didn't eat a lot of fast food. Um, I was in good shape. But it's always been stress. It's always been stress. When I had my, the first time I had two aneurysms, I think this is the reason why I'm, I'm, I'm unique. The first time I had two aneurysms, aneurysms rupture in my brain simul, simul, simultaneously while I was at work as a corrections officer. And this is why I try to explain to people that I have a mild aphasia as a, a, one of the effects of my stroke. It's like a light stutter. And I'm trying to, my, my brain is still trying to catch up with my words, but that's aphasia. 
it's mild. Some people have it like really, really bad. And they have to keep talking and talking until it gets better and better. They can't stop. You have, you have to work on the, on the muscle. And just like with my arm, um, and we're going to get to that too. If I don't keep working on my arm, it's going to stay the same. And right now it's the same. And I'll explain that later. So where was I? Oh, shit. Okay, so I was, okay, let's, let's back up a little bit. So I was riding my bike. Um, I told you to get the COVID shot. Maybe I was there. And I rode it, rode it for 16 miles. And this is not even a year after my stroke. Not even, it was probably the first six months after my stroke, after having three aneurysms. Because my third aneurysm ruptured. Oh, I was, I was talking about my first two aneurysms. Okay, while I was at work, I was at work as a corrections officer and I was conducting arraignments. And I was dealing with um, this inmate. Well, he wasn't an inmate, he was a new arrestee. He was waiting to see the judge. And he kept going in the bathroom. And, you know, as a corrections officer, that's a signal that, you know, who has to pee that much? So they must be going in to use. So I told him, if you keep going in the bathroom, I'm going to send you back to your pod and you can see the judge tomorrow. None of the new arrestees want to see the judge tomorrow. Tomorrow, If you just got arrested, you want to see the judge today. So he stopped going into the bathroom. But then everyone, we had that interaction, everybody was looking and like, you know, like, oh, okay, what's up, what's up? But I wasn't the type of person who was like mean about it. When I spoke to an inmate, you always speak with respect, but you let them know that you mean what you say, but you don't do it in a demeaning or a disrespectful way. You know, I'm just saying, respect me. I know what you're doing, and I could be wrong, but maybe I'm not. So let's just cut it out. Let's stop the games and just wait for the judge. And after I had that interaction, literally, probably like, Five minutes later, I passed out. Now, before I passed out, um, I told one of my my um, my coworkers that I was like, I don't feel good today. I don't feel good. And um, and I I can't stress this stress this enough. If you're living a stressful life, because aneurysms are hard to detect unless you get like migraines, unless you get like the symptoms. Or you have them in your your family history. You don't know that you have it because it's it's like the lining of your arteries are thin, and blood is pumping into those arteries, and it creates a little bubble. And the bigger the bubble, um, the the thinner the lining, and it, and it bursts. And that's what mine did. Mine bursts. But I think mine bursts from. Two reasons, and I'm gonna I'm gonna really stress this that um you should not use hookah if you are living a stressful stressful life and you are and your cholesterol is high and you um your cholesterol is high and there's something else. And your blood pressure is high, you should should not use hookah. 
because one, um, I don't know if it one sitting of hookah, of uh, one puff, actually it's one puff, one inhale of hookah is like inhaling 20 cigarettes. And when you're inhaling hookah, you taste the the, the flavor and then it's all cool because you put this big old burst of smoke out, the big old 20 cigarette smoke out of your mouth and you can make this little whatever. Well, I wasn't that good. But I was good at like inhaling a lot of smoke, and that was from my my pothead days. But that's when I was really young, because when you when you're a CO, you can't you couldn't smoke weed because weed wasn't legal when I was a CO, so you can't smoke weed. But I was a pothead a long time ago, so I remember how to inhale a lot, and they make it look pretty coming out. So don't smoke hookah, don't smoke cigarettes. If you live a stressful life, you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol, don't smoke cigarettes. So I, the night before, I, um, I went to smoke hookah. And I have the photo of it the night before, and it was a fun night. It was a great night. But also, I had high cholesterol, and I had a high blood pressure. You know, my blood pressure was like 133 over 90, and that's high. That's not normal. 120 over 80 is normal. You can fluctuate those numbers, the top and bottom, and 133 over 90 is not is not good. And having high cholesterol on top of it is not good. But like I said, I didn't eat bad food, but I had high cholesterol because the foods I would eat, even the foods that were cooked at home, that were, I mean, I should have went to see a nutritionist. If you can see, if you have, Health insurance, see a nutritionist and find out what's the LDLs and whatever, they whatever. Because I didn't know how to, if you could manage that, the LDL, whatever, those numbers, see, I still don't know to this day. Like, what my, but I know my blood pressure is not high anymore because I'm on medication. And I'm not living a stressful life. My life is very stress free right now. I have little stressors because I'm still dealing with disability because they're still treating me like, I ain't disabled, but I have a job. You know, I'm single. I have my friends. I have my family. I mean, I have my cat. I have Amani. Well, you had Amani. I mean, life is wonderful. You have those little stresses at work because you have to deal with humans, but whatever. As long as I can see my family and I can see my cat, I'm good. I have music. I go to free concerts. I go, I go to free concerts. I go to other concerts. I go with my family, my aunt. We go concert hopping. I'm good. I'm in a good space. I'm not dating. I'm not giving my time to somebody else because, like I said, I'm still married. And I don't want to have that conversation because no one deserves that. If, if, if I'm going to date, they, they deserve to be me to be completely cut off from my past. Completely. I'm still not divorced. I mean, I don't have any communication just through attorneys. That's it. No communication. Because people play that game too and it's like, it's completely cut off. I don't play that game. I don't want that in my life. I pray for them. I pray that they're all okay. But I don't, I don't want that. I mean, God was talking to me 
those entire 12 years and those entire 12 years, I didn't listen. And I'm not talking about my relationship. I'm talking about everything. Everything. But I had some good times. I had some good times. I had some good jobs. I had some tedious jobs. Well, my last job was really good. So getting back to being a CO, at that time, I was getting the stress. Um, the second reason why I think my aneurysms rushed, ruptured is because I had a lot of stress and a lot of stress in my life because of work. I mean, I was working for a jail that was always short and you were always forced to do overtime four out of the, four out of the five days because I was a rookie. I remember I was going in as the, the I don't think I was married yet. Maybe I was married. Yeah, I think I was married. I was going in as the wife of the person who was in charge of medical. So I wasn't given any special special treatment because I was I was being hated on. Because they thought that was a big deal. And I never treated as such. I never like flexed. Well, I'm not, I'm this person to no, know. No, I went on my I went there on my own merit. And when I took the test, when I was in the academy, I had failed the test of there was this one part of the test and I can't remember exactly what you had to do. It was like a mini obstacle course. And every time I would take the pretest, I would fail, 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 fail. I had the run I had no problem with because oh, I like to run. I was always running. But there was that one obstacle, obstacle course that kept like defeating me until the day of the final test. And I remember my the because you would go in like in um, waves. So my some classes would be like they would graduate like 10 people. But my class that graduated was just three of us. But we were with like maybe 20 people in the academy. But we graduated in waves, which is weird. But whatever it was, what it was. So I graduated with Watkins and Hernandez. I'll never forget them. I still talk to Hernandez on Facebook to this day. And this was back in 2000. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. Let me think. 2011. And I still communicate with him this to this day. Watkins, I don't communicate with anymore. I don't know what happened to him. I don't even think he was ever on Facebook. On Facebook. There's a couple of officers at my, that jail that I still communicate with, but then Watkins, he, I don't think he's on Facebook, so I don't communicate with him. If he is, I haven't searched him to friend him. But I remember when um we took that final test and um they were kept encouraging me, like, you got this, Des, you got this, you got this, you got this. And I passed that test. I think I beat it by like an eighth of a second. An eighth. I'll never forget it. And in graduations after mine, my instructor would always talk about me because I didn't give up. 
and then I had my aneurysm, and my, I was gone. I was not in uniform. I was not in uniform anymore. So of course I was a topic throughout the academies. There was also another officer who had an aneurysm rupture in his chest, and he was in excellent shape. He was a big dude, but the stress of being in in corrections is. This is why I don't understand why corrections officer corrections officers did, do not receive the respect that they deserve. Police officers, um, because I guess the public sees them. But I was, I mean, I'm I'm a female, right? I'm a hundred and I was a hundred and thirty-one pounds. No, 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 no. I was no. I don't think I was. I think probably it's like 130 or 5'2", And I had to open up day room with 96 males all at the same time. I had to supervise them by myself. 5'2". It was, I just, I just, they knew that because I wasn't petty. I wasn't a petty officer. I would never demean them or disrespect them. Whenever they asked me for help or they asked me a phone call, I wouldn't give them my phone. I would make the call for them. If it had something to do with legal, I would get the answer, and that was it. There was never calling your 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 girlfriend or your wife or your kids. No, if it was illegal, I would try to get the answers to help you legally. That's it. And I wasn't petty. I didn't write a lot of tickets. I wasn't that kind of officer. I was not that person. Because there was enough stress dealing with 96 males that have beef with each other. Because they live from different neighborhoods and they're just different races. You had the politics. And, you know, people had gambling. You had money was being exchanged. You know, you, you had you had. Prison, jail, politics that so you had to deal with. You had fights. You had all that. You had. To, you always. You, your head was on a swivel. You was constantly just observing people. And that's what I like to do. I like to watch people. I don't like to talk to you. I like to watch. The only time I like talking to someone is if it's one on one, and it's actually interesting. I don't do small talk. I'm, I was never. I think that's the reason why I'm not a good salesperson, because I'm. I'm like, get me to the point and let's move on. I ain't got no time. So being an officer was very stressful. So when my aneurysm ruptured, I think it was due to that stress. You know, working four out of five days, being forced. I remember when they tried to force me for a Whitaker fight. Because they gave too many of their buddies, the senior officers, the day off so they could watch the the Whitaker fight. And they said, you got to work. And I said, nope, write me up. It ain't my fault that you gave your buddies a day off so they could see the fight. I said, write me up. Give me paper. That's one thing I always did from jump. And my job, if they, anyone in my job is listening to this now... They'd be like, you still the same fucking person. I do not play. Do not mess with me. You're not going to abuse me. It's not happening. So they wrote me up. 
And the, the, the sergeant who woke me up, me and him, I did not like him. He couldn't stand me because of who I was. And he was just as brown as I was. Just as Spanish as I am. He was Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. And he could not stand me because of who I was. And because who I was when I came out of the academy. I had a reputation. I, I developed a reputation from the academy. When we did our final mile and a half. We ran together. You know everybody in the. In the classes, they'll, they'll, they'll race each other. They want to see who comes in first, who comes second, who comes in third. We ran together. I'll never forget it. And my instructor was like, that has never happened in the history of this academy. This, this academy, never. It wasn't a race. We ran together. We talked, we joked, we laughed, and we, we did the mile and a half together. That's the kind of bond we have. And then I have aneurysms rupture in my brain. So I pass out. I was talking to um, pretrial services, trying to find out what's going on. And I pass out. And then here I am trying to be all strong, trying to get up, trying to grab the stool, pull myself up. And it felt, first of all, when I heard the pop, it was like, the kettle was bubbling and then it popped. Two pops, pop, pop. And I passed out. And maybe like, they said an inmate tried to catch me because the doctor said, and actually the chief, of course, the person I was with was like working with the chief, saw the video and the inmate tried to catch me. So they said if um, I would, if I would have landed on the floor and hit my head, hit my head, I would have died. But I think that that was an angel catching me. And it was in the form of a new arrestee, not an inmate. Because you don't become an inmate until you're actually found guilty or you take a plea. I wish people would stop fucking taking pleas. Unless they're guilty, then take the plea. But if you're not guilty, don't take a plea. They try to convince everybody to take a plea. If you're really not guilty, if you could stand in front of God and say, I did not commit this crime, don't take a plea. So anyway, I think, you know, God sent his angels and William and my grandmother caught me in the form of a new arrestee. And I didn't die. So they take me to the, um, they take me to the infirmary. Now, this is where I'm bringing inmates all the time, taking them to get the man and then sick call, med call, med pass. They're taking me there. And I have staff who I've actually provided security for um, um, administer um, care to me, which means they had to take off my shirt, take off my uniform. My uniform was cute, too was this nice blue crisp uniform and I would keep it so sharp. It was always iron. My boots was always shined. It was my pants was always iron. My my name tag was always like like nice and shiny. It was brass so it was nice and clean. My um my badge, my my shield was nice and clean. I, I, I mean I, I, I mean I was cute. 
I didn't play when it came because I was proud. I liked my job and I was proud of it. You see like sloppy COs and, you know, they don't like their job. They're not, they do COs. They'd be like, oh, yeah, it's eight into the gate. And <sighs> they don't like their job. I enjoyed helping people, especially people in need. I enjoyed helping them, helping them a lot. So I had to, you know, I had to look the part. If I didn't care about my job, I would look sloppy. Mm-mm, not me. I was cute. So they're taking off my uniform and then they're taking off my shirt. And there's one of the nurses who I used to hang out with. You know, we used to go out and just hang out and get freaking plastered with. And I won't say the brand. Well, nothing happened, but the, you, there was a there was an energy there that you can feel. I mean, I think I have that energy with a lot of people because I'm just like a really likable person. And I'm a very I like to compliment people. And I'm very I'm very flirtatious. Because I like to compliment people, but I don't mean it in a sexual way. I mean in a way that, I mean, you're a woman, and I'm complimenting you because, you know, you're a woman. If you look nice, you look nice, I'm going to let you know. If you're nice, I just complimented one of my coworkers today. Not by the way they looked, but because they were a nice person. Because um, she had brought in a new person into um to be a new concierge and introduce me. And I told her you're going to like this job because it's a, it's a, it's a good job. And also because of the person you're working with. I mean, she's a wonderful person. And she was like, Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm going to compliment you. I mean, I don't care who, I mean, man, I don't care if I like you, if you're have a good spirit, I like you. A lot of times I'll see like, like the, the females at my job that they'll get like, you know, dressed or they wear something different. And I'll notice it. I'm like, oh, you look nice, girl. You look nice. But it's not in a sexual way because I don't feel that energy towards anyone. I haven't met that person yet. It's not that kind of party. But I'm just complimenting you because I'm letting you know I noticed that you've done something different. But it's not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just hoping people don't take it the wrong way. I'm just, I'm very, I'm, I compliment you. With the guys, I mean, even like the guys, you know, you know, when I see people working out and they do something, the guys do something that's really like strenuous. I'm like, oh, okay, you better go ahead with your bad self. But like, oh, you better, I always say something to let them know that you know they deserve a compliment, and that's what I do. And of course, with guys, it's not no, no, not happening. <laughs> So after my um, after my aneurysm was ruptured, um, they took me to the to like I said the infirmary and they ripped off my clothes and saw my boobs and just saw everything. Not something that we would joke around about after. I'm like you, you saw my dangle, you saw everything. <laughs> well, not everything, but you saw everything from the waist up, and it was funny because it was a joke. But um. And then um, when um, they told my wife that I had, well, actually, my when my wife ter- told the nurses that I had two aneurysms of rupture in my brain, everybody was like, uh-oh, mm, we better get prepared. Mm, somebody's going to need some consoling because everybody thought I was going to die. And... um. When I woke up, 
I mean, I, I, can you imagine like um, going to work looking cute and waking up with a, a steel rod screwed into the top of your skull with a little bag, like a drip bag that was kind of big and was filled with your brain matter and blood? That's the first thing you had to see in the mirror. Mm, so it was, it was quite the ordeal. Um, and I had my officers was coming to visit me and they were like, whoa, whoa. And actually the pastor came to visit me and he actually was murdered. I think he was murdered by his son some years ago. But I remember him. I can't remember his name. He came to visit me. And he prayed over me. He, another angel. I don't know what. I don't know who that was. But I believe it's someone in my. Um, my One of my ancestors. Um, if I find one of my ancestors. Who was really close to God. It had to be that person. Because he came and prayed over me. And in three weeks. I walked out of the hospital. And during the time that I was there, people were dying around me because they all suffered the same thing I did. Hi, Imani. I'm talking now. Hi, baby girl. I love you. Okay, let's go lay down because he turned on. I'm glad you're in. I can close the door because I felt like I was being loud and people came home. You stay inside, girl. See, I believe he was an angel too, but I think he was murdered by his son. And it happened in Albuquerque in 2011. If you look up a pastor who, I'm going to look that up tonight. A pastor who was murdered by his son. He was, he was a good man. He was a good man. So then after that, um, no more being a CO. That dream was over. I've always wanted to be a police officer. I mean, I actually was going to be a cop. But I decided to take my stripes instead when I was in Tucson. Um, I promoted to sergeant and then I passed the police test, you know, at the very same time. Um, I actually was number one in the testing process. I actually beat someone who was like, you know, you have one of those families with a whole dang on family was was corrections officer, <laughs> corrections officers. I actually beat them. They were number two. I was number one. What was his name? Barber. His name was Sergeant Bar Barber. I was number one. He was number two. So I decided to... Um, be a sergeant because I wanted to finish my career at that jail. I wanted to be a lieutenant. I wanted to be a captain. I wanted to be all of that stuff. But um, I ended up leaving my job to start my new life with my... Um, what was it? 12 years no, 12 years later, years later, wife. You know, I gave up my career. And gave up everything and to be with them and start my new life.
So then people were visiting me in the hospital and, you know, they were actually helping me when I got home um, because, you know, um, there was responsibilities that had to be taken care of and there was a salary that needed to be made. So um, my wife couldn't stay home, but my, my family, my my corrections officer's family stepped in and there was times where I had to be strong, you know, pick up my stepdaughter and do run my errands on my own too. When that's that's when I actually had my mother. My mother and my brother were there helping me during that time. But once they left, you know, I still had to take care of those responsibilities on my own. But I was doing pretty good, for, you know, for someone who um just had two aneurysms rupture. You know, I got out of I got out of ICU in three weeks. And I walked out of the hospital. I couldn't walk. I couldn't use the bathroom. I couldn't clean myself. I couldn't do nothing. I couldn't do anything. I had a rod screwed in my head. I had to learn how to walk. I had to learn how to um, clean myself when using the bathroom. I had a, um, my nurse used to give me sponge baths and used to have to, um, you know, take care of me when I had to make, you know, poo, <laughs> handle the business. You know, I couldn't do any of that, you know. I had to recover, but I recovered quite quickly. And, you know, while people were dying around me, Lord God bless their souls, but, you know, God had a different plan for me. And I'm still learning it. You know, God's plan doesn't end. Because God grants you eternity. So, you God, humans, humans end. But God's plan never ends. So if you think this is it, mm-mm. this is only the beginning. So after I got um, out of the hospital, it took me about two years to be 100% again. Two years. And then um, I was told for, I was misdiagnosed for a long, I was, I mean, I shouldn't even say more, it could, well, that's and not miss M I S S I think it was missed M I S S E D because um, the reason why my surgeon I think his name was I know I know the woman who put my shunt in my head was Doctor Stippler I think his name was Jonas the 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 doctor who actually performed surgery the neuro neurosurgeon. I think that's what his name was. I'm probably pretty sure. Um, he told me that it's the third aneurysm is in a place that's not safe to operate. So there's a sign that God is just telling you. He's telling you, like in 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 clear words, it's not in a safe place to operate. And then on top of that, to um, have daily stresses in your life and then work stress, but a different kind of work stress, a more enjoyable work stress, like I need to get this stuff done because I like my job kind of stress, not because you're forcing me to do it because it's like slave labor. And I mean that. That's how they treated like new corrections officers who were on probation. They treated us like slaves. 
And not even to that extent, I just mean forcing you to work. I'm not even talking about all the atrocities. I'm not even going there because there's you really can't compare it. But in order for you to understand what I'm talking about, it's a, like, you know, it's the labor that that word that's horrible in 20 and the 2000s because they don't pay you nothing. And that's what all these working class, I don't, that's what I understand, what people don't understand about working class families. It's, it's just like a, a new form of slavery. And they make you work until you die. And they don't pay you nothing. You have nothing to show for it. Even with a degree. It doesn't matter. Everyone is overworked and underpaid. Everyone. And unless you enjoy your job, um, it's not worth it. It really isn't. So I hope you understand the analogy because, I mean, I have respect for my ancestors. I do. And if I was born in that era, I don't think I would have been as strong. I don't think I would have survived the way they did. I mean, I would hope I would have been like, um, like touched by God, because I think everyone who survived and made the mark was touched by God. I would have hoped to be one of those people if I was born in that that time. And this is what I'm talking about with um, disability. Um, they, I mean, I, I applied for disability in 2020 I was abandoned in 2020 I mean I would I was in such bad condition that when I there's I remember a time walking from the grocery store and like being hunched over barely could like carry my, my bags because I didn't have a shopping cart because I couldn't buy one I just remember that time in my life and didn't have any, I was alone. But you just got to keep pushing on. You never know someone's story, you know, you never know. And I, this happened during COVID. So you think anybody's going to come up to me and be like, can I help you? Let me know. This is COVID. I was in the, the I was in ICU and I was in rehab for six weeks during COVID. I couldn't have any visitors. It was just me and um, the doctors and the people who rehab you. That's it. And I remember, like, I got to the point where, I mean, I, I was working hard. Hard. And I know this is long and I'm sorry, but I was working hard. I got to get this out because I'm thinking about it. I can remember getting to the point where I was pushing my, um, I was wheeling my own, because people had to wheel, put you in a wheelchair and wheel you to your appointments. You had to go to and do your physical therapy. You had to go do your um, occupational therapy. You had to go do all these different therapy. They had to wheel, um, wheelchair, put you in a wheelchair and take you there, push you there. It got to the point where I was able to, to you know, take myself. I couldn't push myself because I can't use my left hand. No, I had to use my feet and use my right hand. 
And it was to the point where they were like, Des, you want me, Desiree, you want me to take you back? I'm like, nope, I got this. I got this. And I would be like moving my little feet and my arm, my right arm. Let's go. It was fun. It was like an adventure. I, I, I mean, I had a good time in, in during my rehabilitation. I did. It was tough when I got out and then I was by myself. That was the hard part. But, you know, I had to do it. And then you know, I had to move on my own. I had to take me and Amani on the plane on my own. On the plane, Amani tried to escape the plane, the bag. I had to fight with that. I had to put Amani on my lap and hold her. Uh, now I see all these videos with the cats, like, sitting on the in the seats in the plane. I should have just let her go. Instead of being all stressed, be like, oh, Amani, don't, don't, please, Amani, don't, please, Amani, don't. I should have just let her ass go and let her sit on perch up on somebody's chair. <laughs> but I had to do it on my own. I had to sell all my, all my furniture on my own. I had to have people come to my house, strangers come to my house and take my furniture, like pennies on a dollar on my own. But back to disability. So disability has you jumping through all these hoops. And you go through appeal after appeal after appeal. When I went to my first doctor's visit, they um they were tested. They give you the same random test, like, okay, stand, sit, run, move, walk, front. It's like a freaking robot. You know, how's your gait? Now, I'm not complaining about my fucking gait. I'm complaining about my hand, my arm, my, my fine motor skills. That's what I'm complaining about. I can't type. This is what I'm talking about. I can't lift my hand over above my head for in a long period of time. I can't I can't do those things. I can't lift up anything that's like I could only squeeze like eight pounds, like eight pound weights. That's it. My left hand. That's it. When I used to be able to carry a hundred pound bags of weed. <laughs> and they just keep making you and they 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 checking all this stuff and I'm like, I'm not complaining. But I don't know why I didn't open my mouth. I just didn't even think about it. I was like, these, I, until I left the um, the doctor's visit, I was like, these mofos, they gave me the same freaking test as they give everyone else. They put you in that same blanket procedure. They treated me like every freaking one else. This is just telling me that you don't even read my medical file. So then I called back for another appointment. And so I could say, I was like, you got it wrong. This is what I want you to um, check. Then they put me down that I was asking for freaking anxiety. Like I had mental, like mental health. I was like, no. So I had to cancel that appointment. And then I had to transfer all my, my case to New York, and they didn't even do that correct. So I had to wait for that. And they did, then, then they denied me again. And then I got this health insurance from, I think it's uh, Medicaid. And they only give you a certain amount of sessions and then cut you off. And then you always get new doctors every single time. I would turn around, there's a new freaking doctor. Because they give you all the people that just graduated. And it's, it's, this is how they treat people who don't have money. And this is what I'm still going through to this day. 
And don't even say, don't, okay, if you ever go through, when you go through the mental per, mental health portion of anything, do not mention that you use cannabis. Because they put that under that same blanket proceed policy. Cannabis heals, especially somebody with spasticity. It relaxes my arm. It's healing. It keeps you like calm. I'm high right now. You use your thoughts. And that's the reason why I'm talking so much. Because I got something to say. So don't ever say that. No, I don't know. No, ma'am. I don't use cannabis. Because they'll put you under that same blanket. Mm-mm. No, don't do it. So that's what I'm going through right now. And this is the reason why it's almost taking an hour for me to talk about this. I'm still lying in the wait, you know, but God has a plan. And this is the reason why I'm not in a rush. I don't care. I don't care how long it takes for God to show me some answers. I don't care. I'm waiting patiently this time. Oh, another thing about fucking Social Security Okay, when when I was not working, I used to work out every day. I have videos on my Instagram to prove it. Every day, every day. I was getting stronger on my own because I didn't have I didn't have any more therapy. Nobody wouldn't wouldn't let me um um approve me for therapy. I ran out of sessions. So I would do it on my own every day and I would post videos every day. But that's not what Social Security wants you to do. They want you to get a job. So I finally got a job, and guess what stopped? Me doing the therapy on my own every day. Now, guess who's in pain every day? I really think that this is a conspiracy. I really think that, think that this is a setup. I think they want me to go backwards. I don't think that they want me to get better. But if you don't want me to get better, then why don't you not pay me? (laughs) Pay me. I have a job. I work two days a week. I'm doing my part. Sometimes I have to work three because I'm broke. Give me, pay me. Pay me. But I'm I'm in pain. I'm going backwards. My hand is getting more and more stiff. My arm is getting more and more stiff. I held up one of those bosu balls, bosu balls, and I was pretending I was like, um, like uh, I don't know what you call it, like King Kong. Now I'm gonna throw the big ball at the building. And when I put that thing back on the rack, I was in. I was like, ouch, owie, a bosu ball. So, I mean, I'm going backwards. I'm going backwards. And this is only 60 minutes, which I can completely understand. But my arm is getting worse. I'm not working out as much. Because I'm in too much pain from working, period. So, I don't want to get up on my days off to go and work out. Because I'm in pain. I'm actually recuperating 
from the pain that I've been for working three days, three days this week. But I mean, I'm like still underneath that blanket. They're still treating me the same. I, like I said, I think they really want me to get worse. They don't want me to get better, but they don't want to pay me. So that's my story. And it's all proven and documented. There's no BS. This is my life. And if you listen to this and it's at 56 minutes, um, I appreciate you. I appreciate the fact that you think that my life is interesting. And I just appreciate you because you gave me your time. And I appreciate that. So God bless you and have a blessed night. Blessed night and thank you for listening. And God is so good because he has a plan for all of us because we are we are all special to God. So don't think you're not special because you are. Look to God. You'll see why you're special. And have a blessed evening and good night.